now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend Zellner. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process listeners who for the last two weeks have had Joshua at the helm. Well, I had to do whole shows looking at your empty seat. Now, come on. I mean, how how, how do you think that makes me feel? It's like Elijah. Um, I wasn't happy about it. Elijah? (laughs) It's like the seat at Passover that you leave open for for Elijah to come to your Passover seater. Right. The the, the, the no-show. The empty seat. Yeah. The guy who never shows up. Uh, Don't you think that's sad, though? I think it's kind of sad. The whole Elijah concept in Passover? Well, that the, 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 you leave a space for someone who never shows up. I mean, year after year after year. Yeah, I wonder if anybody ever rolls up on a Passover and be like, I'm Elijah. I'm Elijah. So, sorry, I'm a little late. <laughs> Damn, the 405. So, I should do that every year. I should just knock on some yeah. doors of Jewish homes and be like, I'm here. Sorry, I'm late. Or like an Elijah t-shirt. Yeah, I'm Elijah. <laughs> who are you? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I just think that after a while, you know, like for like I, I've never done that thing, you know, but I've heard about it. But I mean, after a while, like maybe after ten or twenty years of doing that, I I would kind of like lose faith in like setting out the t- you know the 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 the, the plate and the cutlery <laughs> and the glass. And I'm like, they're never gonna come. They never come. They never come. Yeah, and the sadness, the abandonment. You start eating Elijah's food before he shows up. <laughs> And then the one day you don't put it out, when does Elijah show up? That's it's when like, Elijah yeah, Exactly. Ding dong. Anyway, so yes, you're like Elijah. It's like Elijah. I uh, had my sister in from New York. Mm-hmm. I was busy over Thanksgiving. And so, I mean, everybody wants to know about your Thanksgiving because remember you said uh, a right. few episodes ago it was the number one holiday for your family. Yeah, it was a, It was about 20 people at my parents' no. house. Yeah, that's actually small. I think last year it was more like 30. Wow. Wow. Uh, it was very nice. And after the meal, there were three young children and they each uh, did about 15 mon- minutes of uh, material in front of everyone. Are you serious? Yeah. There are a lot of young children at the Thanksgiving now. Huh. Yeah. One did a real time explanation of the planetary system <laughs> from Mars to Venus and Pluto and back. It. I love it. Uh, with a book. Uh huh. And then these two young girls, I think one was about six and the other one was about eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did. They just did jokes. They just did a set. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's you wanna, so you cool. Want one? Yeah, yeah, please, yeah. Why didn't the scarecrow go to the dance? I give up. Why? He had no body to go with. Aww. Yeah, that's really, sweet. Uh, she was crushing. Let's you know. She was crushing. It, <laughs> she yeah. was killing. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, come back. Come back for the ten o'clock show. Yeah. We all literally moved from the long Thanksgiving table onto the couch to set up for the show. That's nice, yeah. I mean, no one offered me 15 minutes on that stage. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> you didn't MC? I didn't get any time. I didn't get any stage time. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you tell them that you have notes on your notes and that you're like a Should professional? Should yeah. for the show. Yeah. That, oh, that would have been sweet. Yeah. We could have done like a little snippet. Yeah. A little, a little, little <laughs> look into your 
talk to the six-year-old about, about her creative process? Yeah, we could talk to her about her creative process. We can have her sign, you know, NDA agreements, you know, and you yeah. know, sign off on it, you know, get her yeah. parents involved. Yeah, so. just make sure that we sorted out who got the residuals on that episode up front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, a listener uh, sent us a voicemail. Yes, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, and mine was just fine. Thanks for asking, Adam. <laughs> You know, I remember I asked you a few years ago, like, hey, Josh, how was your Thanksgiving? And you got all, all vegan butthurt about it. Oh. And you were like, well, you know, given that the food is really not something I do, you know, it was just a quiet day for me. And I was like, okay. okay. So out of respect, I see. <laughs> I, didn't wanna, I didn't want to. Right. Uh, you went up to your sister's in yes, uh, Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara. Yeah, Montecito. Montecito, home yes. of Oprah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I looked around for. It. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza has a house in the area too. I heard. No doubt. Yeah, no so doubt. The Honor Bar. I cruised by the Honor Bar, looked around. No Dr. Joe, no Oprah. What's the Honor Bar? It's this little um, watering hole that they have uh, in the lower village in Montecito, oh. and he's you know known to show up there along with a bunch of other celebrities that live in the area. There's a lot of celebrities. Ellen. Ellen lives in Montecito. Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you were yeah. up as one of the celebrities in Montecito. Yeah, 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 hanging out. Uh, so that was good. And uh, yeah, went to a little restaurant up there, you know, pleasant, you know. Oh, you did it? At, you guys uh, went out? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did first round uh, at my sister's house and, uh, you know, made some nice um, vegetables with uh, some really nice tahini dressing. And then, um, then we went out for like dinner, dinner, so everyone could have a full menu. Oh, wow. So did, did your sister have like a full turkey? uh half half of the family uh about had um you know full menu and the other half did the vegan vegetarian thing so there was a vegan vegetarian option at this restaurant yeah yeah yeah. and what was that um i didn't go with that either (laughs) yeah i was about to say because i feel like they probably brought out like a tofu turkey and there's no way you ate that yeah exactly so yeah i just went with soup and salad classic yeah i i I do classic could have got a soup plantation could have yeah yeah but you know that would have been weird for my family the rest of my family would be like hey where's john we don't that soup plantation you know the bottomless bowl of soup um but yeah yeah so it was really pleasant very sweet and my eight-year-old nephew raku uh he shared some some jokes and we did some games at the table nice that was fun kids kids they really take over these days yeah i feel like their voice should be heard We should do a special kids episode. That'd be fun. And we could, you Just know, do a kids spinoff show. Yeah. Yeah. We could do like a, for Nickelodeon or something. But you were, um, you were saying that your whole family has populated with kids now, but you're not doing your share around that population, Mr. Adam. What do you mean? Well, like you're not involved in, in the, um, procurement of children right now. <laughs> I do not have children. Right. So like if, if you're not doing it, who is? Oh, my parents have like, well, basically all their friends have. Oh, I have, see children like me mm-hmm. who have then gone on to spawn ah, so they have children I see, I see, I see. so there's the that third generation mm. who comes over and uh you know they leave early that's what i've learned about <laughs> when you do when you have children <laughs> when you have when you're a parent you start to well yeah, i gotta go it's like 8 30 and it's the witching hour and then they just right bedtime. it's like houdini gotta go yeah bedtime it happens and all those bags that they take, are they still taking bags? Like, you know, diaper changing bags, food bags? Yeah, it depends on the age, but yeah. yeah. There's usually, um, you have to prepare as a parent from what I've seen. So you're going to want like some paper and markers. You're going to want some toys, maybe a puzzle. Um, because, you know, Thanksgiving's four hours. You know, you got to get that kid through. Right. You know, you, and for a while, you know, my mother paints, she would actually set out like stuff for them. 
you know, my mother, you know, she's quite, quite maternal in that capacity. And, uh, they love stickers. I've learned they love stickers. Sometimes I just, sometimes I'll just be sitting there at one of these dinners and then one will come and put a sticker on my face. Uh huh. That's always fun. Yeah. Uh, and they usually like to make a drawing and then show it to you. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so they'll bring it over and be like, look, I made this drawing. And then you tell them how wonderful the drawing is. Yeah. And how amazing it is. And then they don't always know what to say. Uh, and then they just walk away. See, that's actually the creative, that's the creative process right there. There's that creative impulse, right? So if I create something and then I get excited to show my creation to you, and then that's where the encouragement comes in. Yep. The problem lies when you're like, you know, 25, 26 or 35 or 36, and you know, you're knocking on Hollywood's door and you're like, look at this, look at what I created. Yeah. And they're not your mom and they're not your dad and they're going to go, mm, Yeah. expectations shot. Yeah, I got really bad notes on the first, the first screenplay <laughs> I wrote from an, a writing instructor. Uh huh. And I think I stopped. I stopped writing scripts for like three years because of that. Maybe longer. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not good. It. It wasn't that the notes. I mean, I'm. I'm happy to take notes. I appreciate it. It was more. There was like a. Uh, there's more like when you get those notes that are judgments of you as a writer. Yeah. Those are hard. Um. I actually, actually, I you know, I'm very, uh, I'm very. In fact, I hope I never give notes um, to people that as them as a writer, yeah. as opposed to as opposed to the approach on the creative process or the actual writing. I I, I, w- I was in a meeting once and and uh, uh, this was several years ago. And this lady w- goes, "Well, I thought you had better taste than that." Yeah, right. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And I don't take it personally because that's not an accurate note. And and also I said to her, I said, Well, you don't know the resources I had to work with in order it was it wasn't even it wasn't a writing thing, it was something else. Uh you don't know the resources I, I had to work with. So based on the resources I, I had to work with, and this is a mock up, this is amazing. I said, if you saw what I had to work with, you'd be like, Wow, yeah. I can't believe how wonderfully you did. And I told her that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's all about you know, creating the larger context, but also how important it is that when we do share uh, notes, when we do share uh, feedback, to make sure that it's supportive of the artist, just like when you're six years old. Yeah, you got to start young, supporting them. Although I feel like the complaint now about the millennial generation is that mm-hmm. because everyone got a trophy at soccer practice mm-hmm. when they're in work environments, and I don't even know if this is true, but this is what I have heard mm-hmm. that they um, have very high expectations of both what they're going to be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. They don't believe they should have to pay their dues. Mm-hmm. And also they need a lot of encouragement and constant praise. So there's a delineation in, in what it is that we were, sh- we were talking about for me, which is I never praise the person. I praise the, the work. And then if I give a note about the work, I give a note about the work. It's never about, never about the artist. In other words, I'm not assigning their their value to themselves as an artist. Yeah, I mean, know? I agree. I mean, the value of that approach is that it's always about the work and never about the individual. And then yeah. that allows the individual to always approach it to say, how can I develop and improve the yeah. work I'm doing? Yeah. Rather than a verdict on their abilities. Yes, exactly. Which I totally get. Yeah. Um, I think the criticism of millennials in the workplace, having spoken to a few people who employ them, <laughs> is 
is more along the lines of, um, and I don't entirely understand this dynamic. Um, so if a listener, you understand it better than me, please email us notes in your notes at Gmail. I'd love to know more, but from what I understand, it's like you really like their expectation is that they will be listened to and encouraged and have lots of opportunities and responsibility and that they are, um, very happy to leave a situation if they are given those things. So I get that. What I am suspicious and I wonder about is like, I think that these examples are true at the very high end of opportunities in our economy. Mm-hmm. Like if you're working at like, um, you know, in management at Amazon or in finance or mm-hmm. those sorts of things where you're in high demand. Mm-hmm. But I think for the vast majority of millennials, they're just like underemployed in the gig economy, hating life. And I think that's what I'm curious about. This is a little digression, but. Well, it is an interesting thing because it, it affects artistic creative choices because when, when, when someone's in that dynamic and they feel like they're in, have a certain level of entitlement and they can act on that entitlement is you go, well, okay, so what time does your mom expect you home? Because, because they have to be in a position where they're not being leveraged. So most likely people like that have more choice means they're still living at home. Otherwise they, they couldn't take, make that life. Yeah. Choice. They're not, well, you know, it's interesting. I think you're right in the use of the word leverage. I don't know if the out is always living with their parents. I think some of them or they expect or meaning living, from or living five or living five roommates to one thing. Yeah. They're, they're willing to, they're, yeah. they're willing to trade lifestyle. Some of yeah. them. Yeah. And so if they're not interesting, they'll just pack up a backpack and go backpack in the Middle East, for example, for six months. You know, they don't, some of them, it seems like some of them. um, Yeah, it's it's people. I mean, it's people. Everyone's different. Everyone's different, yeah. Uh, Everyone is different, but there uh, is certainly the need for encouragement, which I'm not sure is a bad thing. I'm not sure that's bad. I'm not sure if the typical corporate America approach to developing talent of critically assessing them constantly is See, you the just best said, thing. You just said the best word, development of talent. And and if you're authentically doing development of, of an artist or of his talent in any direction, there's always the expansion contraction. There's always the ability to, to praise certain things so that you help people to actually show up. And at the same time, you start wanting implementing areas of growth or areas that need development. Yeah. And there needs to be that, that balance of some struggle to some growth. Some, so some growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Otherwise you get bored and then you're like, eh, yeah, I nailed it. Nailed it again. Everyone loves my work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it again. And then, and then you don't, you know, you're not growing. Not growing. Yeah. Um, I alluded earlier to. Yes. Oh, so if people. Voicemail. Want, if, how did you get this voicemail? Did they just record it and text it to you? Um, uh, this particular one, yes. This, but, but sometimes we've had other voicemails from people. What they do is they voice, they put it in a voicemail and then they email it to us on our Gmail account, okay. which is, which is what I want. I want, I want all of our listeners to feel inspired by whatever we do and then hopefully send us ideas like this. Okay. Let's listen to it. I was also trying to think of an idea for a topic. I would love to hear more more from you guys about and what's been coming to mind lately or what's been coming up in conversations lately is that phrase sliding door moments so maybe you've covered this um and maybe it won't lead anywhere i i don't know but i just thought i'd mention it because it is relevant to i mean it's a hollywood film the one that gwyneth paltrow gwyneth paltrow was in probably called sliding doors and and it's also part of, do you know John Gottman? Probably you do. 
Um, but his, you know, couples research, and I was listening to a podcast that, or YouTube, that he and his wife were talking about these sliding door moments where it's this, it's very pivotal where what, what a person decides to do in that moment either builds trust or breaks trust. And they can be so subtle and so uh, significant at the same time. Anyway, you were talking in your open and closed systems and how closed systems have so much predictability and repetition. And it made me wonder about sliding door moments and how writers experience sliding door moments and which, how do they take advantage of a, of a sliding door moment? Because it's, it's, it can be so pivotal to the story, the storyline in life, the storyline in a relationship. I imagine the storyline in a piece. And what determines that? Is it outcome oriented? Now, if the characters choose to do this, then that leads to that outcome. Or is it process oriented where, who knows, you know, one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next, next thing. And before you know it, you're at an outcome, but it wasn't predetermined. Anyway, those are, that's me thinking out loud in case that's of any value to your show. Okay. Bye. Okay. All right. We're not going to tell you where uh, this listener is, but if you were interested in learning more about this person, <laughs> that was so bad. You could email Joshua at joshuatownsend at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. On our on our notes on your notes account. But yeah, um, that was that was the lovely Lisa, and uh, and uh, I'm sure there's only like what maybe. I think we're giving too much away when we say Lisa. We'll just say probably Lisa. Probably a few hundred thousand Lisa's Lisa. in Canada. Yeah, probably. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, Canada. Gave Canada. it away there. Canada, Vermont. <laughs> it's a little town in Vermont <laughs> named Canada. Good save. That was nice. Uh, wow. That was a really, in some respects, abstract question that I think is pointing to something uh, pretty subtle in scene writing as I was talking about it. Yeah, and uh, a highly articulated question. I mean, it's really just, she's really getting, at least is really getting into, into the, you know, into the nuance, yes. the nuances of it. And, and she does bring up a very interesting thing about the difference between the writer writing it and the, and the character uh, experiencing it. So there are a couple of levels of reality that we need to address if we're gonna properly address this. Probably address this, this, this question. This question, this insight, this. Yeah, well, she she used the the term sliding doors, which really interestingly has become this um, this figurative way of expressing for a specific actual type of screenplay in Hollywood now or story, um, based originally on the Gwyneth Paltrow movie, in which and for those who haven't seen it, basically there's a moment I think when a door slides and the character can make two different choices. Yeah, and then normally in a movie you would just see the outcome of those choices, but in this movie. What they did was they showed you two different storylines. Basically, yeah. If they had gone two different directions. And people have actually pitched them and tried to make those in TV. Um, they're hard to get made. Development execs not like them. No. Um, because I guess it, it makes you hard to lock into one character's choices for a whole season. If I'm not mistaken, it was around a romantic relationship. And so, you know, I believe she, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So she, one was one guy and the other one was another guy. Yeah. But it has become this interesting cultural. Um, metaphor for like that big choice and how your life could be so differently in that moment and like how and had actually the metaphor is not actually a big choice the metaphor is actually this small thing that creates a different series of, of outcomes for you um, it's a cascade it's a cascading effect uh, in, in real life 
Uh, and we always want to make sense of things like that in terms of in, in our real life, and then we want to see that reflected in our art. Yeah. Um, in our in our work in our parlance, we call it choice point. But that's but that's when that's when the character is actively engaged in that choice. Yeah. And yeah. I f- and I feel like Lisa's alluding to things here that mm, that maybe just one of the characters is actively or only in in uh, hindsight do they go oh that was the moment that was the moment yeah there there is a a sense of I don't know I don't know if passivity is the word but it's just like oh it's any old choice we made and then it had this cascading of consequences whereas I think from your perspective uh, when you think about a character making a choice we often push in storytelling for active choices where the character has a strong point of view on the choice. Mm -hmm. Um, so they specifically do something like, um, even though they tell their partner that they're really excited to see them for Valentine's day, uh, they're texting with an X. So Mm -hmm. like choices that Mm -hmm. kind of, that cut across. Um, I, I wanted to, she also spoke really, well, the subtlety that I picked up on was that hmm. she asked, is it, is the choice with a high consciousness of the consequence of the choice or is it more process oriented where you just make choice in the present, choice in the present, and it leads you eventually to this outcome down the line, which is more of how I think good storytelling is done. Because mm-hmm. I think if the character really has a strong sense of the longer term consequence, meaning how the movie is going to end up, mm-hmm. it creates problems because the character doesn't know that at that point in the story the character is just existing in a scene and making the choice in that moment uh, about what they want to do wow <laughs> wow um you're right about you're 100 percent right in terms of like the character can't know what the character the character can only know what the character knows in the moment and to have the outcome known is like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's. We don't watch that. Yeah, we don't watch that. We want to see discoveries. We want to things, see things happen. Now, however, when we're talking about in the moment, in the actual beat, this is, this is what I find uh, interesting in terms of. of um, so th- there's a certain element of, of making a decision or a sliding door moment and then having regret, like if only. So that's one element, but that's based on, on, on a certain choice that was made previously. Um, there's this other thing that, which is, which is what I was uh, engaged by and excited by, which is this thing of, which is, it's similar to a choice point, but it's slightly different. Let's say, um, let's say, you know, go with a romantic coupling just cause it's easy. So romantic coupling and, uh, they've been engaged for a while and you know, I'm not sorry. So they've been in a relationship for a while and she's expecting it, uh, this night to be the night where he pops the question. I'm okay. using classic stuff sure. here just to make it easy. And so, um, uh, uh, she has this favorite song and, uh, and, and then, um, he has this other song that's not that song and that's his favorite song and so during the dinner he only plays like his favorite song okay i'm making this up as we go along sure and so he only plays his favorite song and so by the end of the evening you know she, you know there's there's the, the 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 playlist of her favorite songs but that never gets played right. and she goes well what about this song and he's like no no i really want to hear this tonight and so in that moment in that moment 
she sees his behavior and she makes a decision on that on she makes a, an evaluation of that behavior and makes a decision like he can never be my husband now mm. because of the choices that he made but it's almost like a predator prey relationship in the sense of like she's seeing beyond what the action of the character is doing in that moment she extrapolates on that right and then goes mm, mm, i see how this is going to end up and I, i'm making a decision no this is the end of the relationship and that's that's what i was hooking into in terms of the nuance but that's very nuanced well one of the things that um did that make sense? What I just said, did that, was yeah, that trackable? In your example, what I track also is that there are different levels of consciousness on the situation. Yes, absolutely. She's more aware than him. I, I, feel, like, I feel like to explore this topic, I feel like in, innately one of the characters is going to be more aware than the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. And women are more, you know, more, more, conscious. They're more conscious of in emotions. General. Yeah. Um, in all of life. In all of life. Yeah. But I was just yeah. referencing the specific situation. Yeah. Yeah. She's not being seen. Um, I would say that one of the things that that Lisa brought up in this message for us is that she references John Gottman and, and, and you know, so for people who don't know, John Gottman is a, a psychologist, I believe, at the University of Washington who specializes in, in studying couples, you know. He apparently has this really cool love lab where he love takes lab. people, he takes couples mm-hmm. and he has them interact for 24 hours and then he tapes it and then he has his grad students code the emotions on their face like so like they look at the emotions every minute yeah and there's an algorithm and i think it can predict whether you'll be with that person in five years to like a 90 percent degree wow just based on how you guys look at each other and how you treat each other he's kind of fascinating i read one of his books and but what what it sounds like he's referring to in this interview that lisa heard was that in any given situation between two people and it could be two characters in a story yeah you have the choice to increase their trust or decrease their trust. They have the choice to bring them closer yes. or bring them further apart. In yes. the example you gave, he makes a choice mm-hmm. not playing her music yeah. that she likes that takes them further apart. And you know, it's interesting also in that is that is that there has to be an element of the character interpreting that behavior and it doesn't mean that that interpretation is correct. Right. But they're, they're bringing meaning to that behavior. Yes. In a, yes. and it could be supported and it could also be fabricated right it could yeah. it could be reflected in the reality of the situation or it could be uh her own yeah baggage from her past yeah that she's become hypersensitive to yeah that she's bringing in um and that's fascinating yeah i think what i'm struggling with is like did lisa have a question or was she just being <laughs> a genius <laughs> i think lisa's a genius i know, I know she's a genius. oh my god that's so funny because when i wrote her back i said you're a genius and it's true she is which means you don't actually have to have a question for us you can just <laughs> it could be a talking point which you is can what just we basically you can be on the podcast and not be on the podcast by just sending us <laughs> your own points of views um also, I have to say that that's one of uh, Lisa's uh, strong uh, elements in terms of what she brings to her creativity and her writing and all of her creative process is is she has a high uh, uh, EQ, I think, right. emotional intelligence. It's like off the charts. It's like Yeah, insane. I saw Tony Gilroy give a talk on YouTube. I didn't actually see him. I, saw, mm-hmm. I, I watched it. Yeah. Tony Gilroy wrote uh, Michael Clayton in the Bourne movies. I'm a big fan of his writing. Um he said, you will only write as good a screenplay as 
commensurate to your psychological understanding of other people. That's right. How can you do it otherwise? Yeah. In terms of conscious creation, yes. you can. You can only be as you can only be as aware as as a writer as you are as a human being. Right. And right. so that's why when I when I do my work and I teach my classes, a lot of my work is based on awareness. How can I expand my awareness, my ability to take in the world in a in a in a real way, as opposed to like doing a you know my own personal projection overlay. Right. Um, and the overlays are fun too because that creates point of view and rants and everything else. But 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 yeah, to open up uh, the range of expression means that the range of intake receptivity awareness has to be increased yeah absolutely yep and i think almost that like when you look at your stories and really you don't even have to look at your stories i think you could probably look at your life because <laughs> it look gets interesting i started i started thinking about like well what about people's interactions with their friends and family yeah same thing it's like you go in and it's like your choice you have a choice about what to say in any given situation we're mm -hmm. not super conscious of it a lot because we're running on programming in relationship to our father or we're running on programming relation and but it's like it's like almost like you ask yourself the same way you ask a character like what's the choice i'm going to make here that might make this situation be different like i think about that when i'm dealing with people who i feel like i'm not getting through to right so one choice i can make is just to blame them and be like, they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. Another choice is to think like, could I communicate differently? Or if I made different actions, might it change things? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, which is just another way of looking at what she's saying, which is like, you know, if you have another alienating conversation with that, does that bring you closer to someone or does that bring you further away? Yeah. And is that, is that the true of your characters or not? Yeah. You know, what's the, what is the intention? Well, part of part of the part of the process of writing a story is is to give your character more range, mm. like to, so that your character has more character, that your character has more possibilities. And most narratives, especially the transformational kind, start off with a character of a human being having less emotional right. range, less possibility, and by the end, they're more open. They have more range. Yeah, I was and, thinking of Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great example. And so, um, yeah, by the end, emotionally, he had a lot more range. Yeah, he has much greater compassion for himself and others. By yeah. the end, he becomes a compassionate human being. Yeah. And so that's a microcosm of what we're doing as human beings. And that's why people keep going to see movies is because we want to keep being re-inspired to give ourselves more permission, more range, more possibility. Yeah. Lisa, I don't know if we helped at all, but... If we didn't, what we'd love is for you to send us <laughs> another voicemail <laughs> that tells us we failed. Yeah, you, you know what? You could send us saying that we either got it right or we got it wrong or, or we missed or, or this is what, what I really wanted to hear discussed. You know, but you can talk about what we did and not about ourselves as people, please. Because you know. Yeah, and if we didn't get it right, <laughs> I would really appreciate it if you videotaped you unsubscribing on, on iTunes to our show. <laughs> Just a, maybe do it, shoot it in slow mo, like your finger going oh, to the unsubscribe button. This is painful, Adam. Well, okay, but speaking of, of having photographic evidence of things, uh -huh. I've received a couple of, of uh, instant messages on our social media uh -huh. about people wanting that uh, picture of that coffee mug that you talked about endlessly, or we talked about endlessly on one of our episodes. What uh -huh. episode was that? I, I think it came out in 
November and it was about self-talk and loops, I believe. And yeah. that may have been the title. I can check on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Josh snookered me into talking about my, um, <laughs> snookered. I love it. Uh, my coffee mug I just bought my to go coffee mug, which I've had, had a lot of, um, emotions around cause it was expensive <laughs> for me. At least it felt expensive. Uh, so Josh, um, and I ended up talking about this stupid coffee mug for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and like with most stupid things, then everybody wanted to talk about it. Um, so I'm going to be posting it on social media. So I'm going to post it, but on Instagram like, and Facebook, but, but I don't, can you put it in a show notes too, or no, or um, you can add it to the show. Maybe notes. I can put a link to the Instagram post. I don't know. You're okay. really pushing my social media abilities. <laughs> uh, cause I know what's going to happen. I know what? what everybody, why everyone wants to see it. Why? They just want to be like, you were worried about buying that. What's wrong with you? No, no. They want to know about your artistic sensibilities as a, no. as a human being, as an artist. They, they want to see your choice. Don't yeah, my choice. Um, you no, don't, I, think I think they're just going to be like, oh, it's weird that someone would be have a lot of emotions around buying, um, you know, a to-go coffee mug that I, you know, I would throw in a dumpster if I saw. No, Adam. These people are with high emotional integrity, yeah, and they really want to know about the, the inner workings of you. And and besides, you come from a visual background. You're you're a photographer. Your mom's a painter. You know that they want to see the choices you make. Well, in I, a non-judgmental in way. In a non-judgmental way. Well, um, I will. Josh is going to post that on our Instagram and Facebook account. Yeah. By the way, you can always um, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Josh posts all the new episodes in addition to just really smart things about creative process, storytelling, writing. Uh, and it helps you stay informed. And uh, is there anything else? Oh, yeah. We haven't asked you guys to rate us in the iTunes store in a while, mm. but we actually have had an influx of new listeners at the end of the year. And uh, it helps us if you could do it. It's a small thank you. Joshua and I love doing the show for you guys for free. And uh, that would be cool. Yes. Uh, the music and sound on the show for the last two years has been courtesy of a man named Kevin McLeod. And the editing has been courtesy of me. We'll talk to you next week. 